Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Good morning, Mission Church. Uh, I was given orders from Tyler today to hit a home run. And so I'm like, well, Tyler, I don't know if I can do that after Dave Patterson last week and you the week before that, but I'll do my very best. And it is so good to be with you today. Congrats on five years. Can you give yourselves a round of applause? We hear all the time how dark the Bay Area is. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth, the Bay Area? Well, I guess in Walnut Creek, there's something good happening. And uh, the first time I came, this is my third time, so I guess I'm doing something right. Uh, but my first time, that message, the foxes, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Every time I see Tyler, he talks to me about that. I'm like, I don't even remember teaching that message. And somehow he knows it by heart. And then last time I came, I had a word for you guys. And the word came from uh, Little John. I don't know if you know Little John. But the word was from the window to the wall. I didn't know the Holy Spirit listened to rap music. But apparently he did, and I said, get ready to give up your seat. Look around this morning. Look around. It sounds like God did that word. Now you're probably judging me and like, oh, so he's the prophetic guy. No, I'm not. But if you know anybody that is, send them my way, because I'd love to have a prophetic guy in my life. Uh, I'm not the prophetic guy. I wish I was. But I do believe that God has something for you today that he's given me that I'm excited to share uh, with each of you today. And I'm going to be talking today about the type of person that you were born to be the type of person that you need to become in order to fulfill your highest potential. And this is the type of person that the world is crying out for. This is people that are broken and hurting. If they were to meet this type of person, their life would completely be transformed. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And so if you would bow your heads, we're going to pray this morning. Jesus, it's simple. (laughs) We want you today. We want more of you, Jesus. And Lord, we declare today that a new day is rising over the bay. Revival in the church, renewal in our cities, and awakening people to the presence of God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. All of us are becoming something. The issue is many of us are not becoming the person that we were created to be, the person we were born to be. Some of us are intentionally becoming who God created us to be. Some of us, it's not even on our radar. And so we've got to learn from the scriptures how God is leading us to fulfill our highest potential. And that potential is for you and I to become like Jesus, a person of powerful love, a person that experiences God's love and then expresses his love, releases his love to friends, family, coworkers, classmates, neighbors, that it becomes a lifestyle of love. You were born to become a person of powerful love. You should be. Deep inside, you want to be. You're supposed to be. You're meant to be. And by God's grace and through his family, you will be. In Jesus' name. See, love is the greatest force on earth. Culture tells us that you know, love is weak and it's frail and it doesn't make any difference. And it's not really popular. Fame and fortune and being sexy is. But love, that's just, it's like not relevant. It's old-fashioned. But that's not what we read in the Bible, which is timeless. We see that love is the greatest force on earth. It has the power to melt the hardest heart, to heal the deepest wounds, and to set free the heaviest oppression. If it's real love, if it's God love, it's powerful. It has within it the power to transform. 
And what love does is it brings out the best in us. None of us will ever become the best version of ourselves, our true self, without God's love. Creation responds to creator's love, and that causes us to flourish and blossom and bud. And so let's start in 1 John chapter 4 this morning, where the apostle of love himself, John, communicates where this love comes from. We love because he first loved us. Yeah. And I know in the Bay Area, our church, in the mission, in the city, we've got a lot of young entrepreneurs, and we're known for creating stuff, starting stuff, producing stuff. The technologies and things that we create in the Bay transform the way that we do life here on planet Earth. But the love we're talking about today, we can't create it. We can't launch it. We can't perform it or produce it. We can only receive it. The love that we're talking about doesn't come from planet Earth. It comes from heaven. It comes from a source outside of ourselves, outside of you and outside of us. It comes from God. And we see in Mark chapter 12, Jesus sums up the entire Bible. What's the purpose, the point of the Bible? All of the Bible points to Jesus. In the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed. In the New Testament, Jesus is revealed. And all of the scripture points to Jesus, and Jesus says, here's the main thing. This is the most important thing. I'm going to sum up the whole Bible for you really, really quick, really, really easy. This is it. Mark 12, he says this. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I heard that as a kid, and I thought, I don't like that commandment. And I don't like it because it's impossible. I'm an Enneagram 3, any 3s in the room, right? Like, we're achiever performers. Like, I got to feel like I have a shot at winning. If I don't, I just check out. I don't feel like I can win at that. Like, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, there's no way I'm capable of that. But here, here's the hidden truth in this verse is, is Jesus is showing us how he loves us. And when we receive his powerful love like this, then our natural response is to love him back like he loves us. And so what he's communicating to us is that he loves us with all of his heart, which means that there's not even a portion of his heart that does not love you. All of him loves all of you. He loves you with all of his heart. He doesn't hold any love of that back. There's no part of him that doesn't love you. He has all the feels for you. Then he goes on, he says, I love you with all my soul. This is his inner being. This is his emotion. He's expressive in the way that he feels about you. He loves you with all of his will. He has desires for you, longings for you. He doesn't have expectations of you. He has desires and longings for you to be close to you, to help you, to serve you, to nourish you, to help you become who you're born to be. Then he goes on and he, and he says he loves you with all of his mind. And if we read the Bible, there's these verses where it tells us that he thinks about us a lot. And the metaphor he uses is the sand on the seashore. When I go to Muscle Rock or Baker Beach in the city, I look down and I'm like, that is a lot of thoughts. That's a lot of thoughts. Now, inside his thoughts for us, there is not one condemning thought. There's not one accusing thought. There's not one judgmental thought. Every single one of this multitude of thoughts he has for us are thoughts of love. He's thinking about you right now, loving thoughts. And then he continues on. He says that he loves us with 
all of his strength, all of his might and power and dominion, all of his strength is used in powerful love to help you and to change you from the inside out. So he calls us to this mark of love and he meets that mark for us with his love knowing that our response to his love will then help us meet that mark. Anybody else just glad to know that he loves you that much? (laughs) Wow. Mind-blowing. And so what we do at our church is we do these Selah moments every week. Selah is a Hebrew word that means to pause, to consider, to reflect. And so what we do is we actually talk in church. We take two minutes and we discuss a question together as a church family. So we're going to do it here this morning. We're going to give you two minutes, and here's the question. What difference has God's powerful love made in your life? Let's take two minutes and talk with those around us this morning. All right, I'm sure we have some guests this morning, and you're new to the church, and you're like, I love this church. They let you talk in church. I grew up Catholic, and if I talked in church, a nun would come get me with a ruler. No, we can talk in church. Jesus' prayer through the Apostle Paul about us experiencing his powerful love, Ephesians chapter 3 says this, then you'll be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. See, this isn't supposed to be a doctrine. It's not supposed to be like a teaching in a book. It's supposed to be an encounter and an experience that all of us have continually. And he's talking about this experience, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ. I'm astonished that God knows everything about me and still loves me. Most of you, if you knew what I've done and where I've been, and all the good that I could have done that I didn't do because I was selfish, I don't know if you'd love me like him. That's why I tell people, don't judge my praise. 
because you saw where I was, you'd be praising like me. Then it goes on, he says, in all of its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. God's got like the longest arm out there. And you can run from him like I tried to, he's still going to get you. You cannot outrun his love. He's always reaching for us. When we neglect, when we ignore, when we do our own thing, make a mess of our life, he's always reaching out to have us back. And then it says that his love is enduring. It's inclusive. His endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This is beyond burning man, guys. This is a transcendent love. This extravagant love pours into you. Some of you are going to experience that today. Maybe it's been a really long time since you've experienced the love of God. It's going to pour into you today. Waves of love are going to pour into you today until you are overflowing with the fullness of God. Let's talk about his powerful love. His powerful love forgives us. Past sin present sin, future sin. Sin is simply missing the mark. That's what it means in the original language. Missing the mark of love. We all miss the mark of love. We fail to receive his love, we fail to give him love, and we fail to release that love to others. We do it all the time. But even in the midst of that, he still forgives us. Past, present, and future sin, we stand in a place of forgiveness. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Bible says that he washes us white as snow. How many saw Mount Diablo last week? Snow on there. You look at that and you're like, white as snow. Go to Tahoe. White as snow. Colossians says that we stand before him without a single fault, completely blameless. That is mind-blowing how forgiven we are. His powerful love forgives us. It cleanses us. Life happens and we get busy and before we know it, there's like this little film that can show up on our hearts. And a lot of times we don't even recognize it. This little layer of apathy or indifference or complacency. And he's so gracious. He doesn't point out our ugliness. He actually just washes us, cleanses us, the scripture says, of all unrighteousness. His powerful love, it frees us. And what I've learned in my life is it frees me from all the things that I, thought, I don't think I'm bound to. Wow. I think many of us are more stuck and enslaved than any of us would care to realize. And he doesn't judge us when we're stuck. He loves us when we're stuck. Yeah. Right in the midst of us trying to free ourselves and it not going well for any of us, he graciously extends his hand to set us free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. His powerful love, it heals us. Sickness, disease, but a lot of our disease is actually spiritual. It can be like a cancer where we forget about his love. We forget about who he is and who he thinks and says that we are. And what he does in his love is he heals us from the things that poison us, often from the inside out. Some of us are carrying around wounds from childhood that we still haven't been healed of. And if you'll sit down in that love and receive that love, it will heal you from things that you don't even know you're sick of. 
His powerful love heals us. It teaches us. It trains us. It coaches us up on how to live and what's important. It reprograms our internal operating system. We begin to desire what he desires. We want what he wants. His powerful love changes us from the inside out. And it even corrects us. What I've learned in my life, Joe talked about it this morning, a rhythm of repentance. When I'm not repenting, I'm distant. Because he loves me too much to let me stay the way I am. When I come close, he starts putting his finger on things in my life that I'm not trusting him with. He talks to me about my attitude. So does my wife. <laughs> He's easier to hear than her. Amanda's so gracious. He talks to me about my tone. Dads, you know what I'm talking about. He talks to me about things that nobody else in my life talks to me about. Because he loves me. He cares about me. He's like, no, Mark, I'm not going to let you settle for that when I've called you to this. No, you are going to become a person of powerful love that lives like me and loves like me. And I'm going to show you and help you get there. That's how much he loves us. I was trying to teach this scripture to my kids when they were little. Uh, And if we read this in a different translation, it talks about the dimensions of God's love, height, depth, length, the volume of God's love. And so I got out a tape measure and I'm trying to do this illustrated thing. And I take the tape measure to the ceiling. I'm like, guys, God loves you more than this. My three kids are like, whoa. And then we go wall to wall, and they're like, wow. And then length, depth, height, and they're like getting it. I'm like, oh, this is working. Who knew a measuring tape could do this? And they're like getting it. And then I'm like, all right, let's get together, guys. Let's Let's experience that love. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us how much he loves us. We're like two seconds into the prayer, and my son, Max, is like, I didn't get anything. I'm like, dude, I haven't even finished praying yet. Like, son, love is patient, 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) Slow down, Speedy. And then like three seconds later, he's like, we taught him about images or, you know, a thought or a theme or an idea. This is the language of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, all I see is a cherry. I'm like, well, that's interesting. So here's what you got to know about my son, Max. He loves cherries. We planted a cherry tree when we lived in the North Bay in our backyard, and he would harvest it before any of us knew there were even cherries on the tree. And, and he was always eating cherries, and we even took a worship leader, a guest worship leader, out one time, and they got like a cherry Coke, and you know, you get like the cool little plastic sword with two cherries in it, right? I mean, I got into so many sword fights when I was a kid with those things. My parents hated them, I'm like trying to poke out my sister's eye with that thing. And, and so anyway, the worship leader looks away Max grabs the sword, takes the cherries, and then plants the evidence underneath the table. That's how much Max loves cherries. And so he thought all he was seeing was a cherry. But his prayer was, God, show me how much you love me. And I said, Max, God loves you more than you love cherries. His eyes got really big, and he's like, I got it, Dad. I got it. Now, think about this. God loves him so much. Think about this. He couldn't have said anything else that would have made the light on the inside of my son go off like it did, except for that. 
This is how God loves us. He doesn't want it to be a thought or a verse in a book. He wants it to be an experience where that powerful love washes over us and changes us. He wants his powerful love to be released every Sunday as you gather as a church family. Where people coming in from all walks of life, you don't know who shut down the club last night. You don't know who slept with who. You don't know what affair happened. You don't know who is ready to take their life. And they stumble in here on a Sunday morning. They should have no business being here. And all of a sudden, the powerful love of God catches them right where they are. We're seeing it in our church every week. God is trusting us with the gay and trans community. We have people coming from that community every week, weeping in the presence of God. Just after church, just tears. We're going through Kleenex boxes. We've got to get to Costco. Just people are being so touched by the presence and power of God that we need to raise our level of expectancy when we gather that God is going to show up and his powerful love is going to set people free and heal people. That we're not even going to have to give an invitation for people to come to Jesus because they're going to meet him while they're here and surrender their life to him. And then this love can't just stay here. This powerful love just can't be once a week, three different service times on a Sunday. No, it's got to be a lifestyle and a rhythm that all of us live, that we open our Bibles and read our Bibles not to check a box, but because we want to encounter the living God. We want him to speak to us. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what you need more than anything? You need a word from God. I need a promotion. No, you need a word. I need a new wife. No, you don't. You need a word. I need to get rid of my... No, don't get new kids. Get a word. You need a word from God. That's what you need. And we do all these spiritual practices and rhythms and disciplines not to check a box, not to be a shiny, polished Christian. No, to become a person of powerful love. To live like Jesus. And so we have to have a vision that it's not just here on Sundays, but it's God using me with the stranger and the neighbor and the coworker and my own family. That we become a hungry people living on that edge of expectancy, knowing that God is well able and he wants to release miracles, signs, and wonders more than we want him to. Normal Christianity is living in that powerful love. And what the pandemic has done is it has exposed our very shallow roots in God's powerful love. And our very deep roots in the fear of man. In distracted anxiety and identity insecurity. We're in dire need of God's powerful love to transform us. This is what a broken, hurting sad, lost, depressed, scared world is crying out for. An encounter that we're talking about, I actually experienced this a couple weeks ago. I'm sure you've heard of what God is doing in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury. When I gave my life to Jesus in college at the age of 19, immediately we had our signals up for revival, and I was running with these young men and women that were going hard after God and all-night prayer meetings and praying on campus, and we saw God lead hundreds of students to Christ. But it never, it never became like things that we read in the history books. And so for 21 years, I've been praying for, for an outpouring of God's Spirit. And so when I saw God do what He's doing at Asbury, I was like, I got to go. We got a red-eye flight a couple weeks ago. I took a team out there with us. 
And uh, you kind of have that nervous expectancy when you get there. It's a little bit awkward, like, you know, what's really going to happen? And we couldn't get into Hughes Auditorium across the street. There was a five-hour line, over 10,000 people in, in, lined up, hungry for God, met people from all over the country, amazing stories on how people got there. And so I went to the simulcast across the street in Estes Chapel where they simulcast on the screen. This is before they were live streaming, and then they'd stop the simulcast when they did testimonies. And I walked in there, and I got a seat at the very top, in the very back row. I sat down, and the Holy Spirit met me in such a profound way that I wept for five hours. Those five hours felt like five minutes. I'm not a crier. I cry about once a year for like two minutes. I did not know what was happening to me. And every time... I felt like I was kind of coming out of it and my tears were beginning to dry. I would see something in the room that would set it off again. I'd see a young teenager on their knees just worshiping with reckless abandon. I'd see a seasoned saint that had been praying for revival for 50 years, kneeling down at the altar confessing their sin. I'll never forget the the testimony of a gentleman that came up that had been pastoring for 50 years in his mid-70s. And he said, during the pandemic, I got so discouraged, I stopped reading my Bible and I stopped praying. He said, my heart got hard. I told my wife, when I heard about Asbury, he said, I'm going to drive 12 hours to get there by myself. I have to meet Jesus again. And he said, I've met Jesus again, and he is so beautiful. And then the guy tries to get back to his seat, and all these people, nobody knows him, keep coming up and hugging him, And then they start crying, and then he cries because they're crying, and then I'm crying because I'm watching them cry. (laughs) I told you, five hours of weeping. And what was happening is God was washing over me with waves of love that clearly I couldn't earn or achieve, and I definitely did not deserve. Waves of love washing me, cleansing me, changing me. There was such this overwhelming love, this simplicity, this humility, this sense of family and belonging. As you're waiting in line to get in, there's people praying over each other and people are getting healed and giving prophetic words and encouragement. It's like every person you looked in their eyes, it's like you'd known them for 20 years. I wrote my journal. I said, I don't want to leave. This feels like heaven. If heaven is anything like this, this is way better than the world I live in every day. Everyone preferring and serving. And Gen Z was awesome. They're in like flip-flops and like summer camp t-shirts. None of them are professional musicians like you guys have. Most of them sang out of tune and they were in need of auto-tune. But you know what? It was all heart. And the most beautiful thing was never what was happening on stage. It was listening to the church as a whole sing. So many of us, the media has told us the church is racist and the church is wrong and the church is bad. And sure, the church has had issues, still does. But can I tell you, the church is beautiful. The church is powerful. The church is anointed of God. And oh my gosh, the best song was just listening to the church sing. C.S. Lewis said the best church service he ever went to, he doesn't remember one song they sang. He does not remember the teaching, but he remembered that God was there. That's what stuck out to me while I was there. God speaking to me in such a profound way. I believe there I received the gift of tears. 
I didn't even know it was a gift you could receive. <laughs> I find myself now praying for people, and it's like everybody's getting this gift. And we're seeing it even in my own children, my wife, my family, our church. So many people being cleansed. And you can do a study on tears and what it does to you emotionally, what it does to you even in your own body when you just let the tears flow. This is how God expresses his love to us. I had so many friends and family texting me nonstop, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening? I didn't return a text for three days. Why aren't you posting, why aren't you posting? Well, because what I captured in the room was private. It's holy. It's between me and God. I'm not going to share that with anyone. I'm not there to broadcast or build a podcast or a blog. No, I was there to meet with the living God. And the one word that I would use to describe my experience is undone. I was completely undone. I learned there that I'm too put together. I'm too organized. I'm too thought out, too dignified, too linear. I make too much sense. Have I outthought God? Have I outplanned God? Have I created this little box and thought that he'd actually stay there? Way too much of me in my life. I'm tired of me. I'm tired of trying to hold it all together. I'm tired of my hustle, my performance, my hard work. I can be so impatient and in such a hurry. I'm tired of getting what I want, but not getting more of God. And what happened to me while I was there is that Jesus healed me of me. And that's not at all what I expected. His powerful love met me in a way that it's never met me before. Well, Mark, you've been praying for 20 years. You haven't had an encounter like that? No, I haven't. And I can honestly tell you, the presence of God in that room was 10x anything I'd ever experienced. Ladies and gentlemen, there's more to be had. There's food on his table. We determine how much we get, not him. He's made it available to all of us. His plan for us to receive that is John chapter 3, verse 30. It says, he must increase and I must decrease. I don't increase and he increases. That's not how that works. He only increases as I decrease, as I humble myself, as I make myself available to him. So you've heard it said that the devil doesn't make you bad, he'll make you busy. He'll make you preoccupied and distracted. And so many of us are just scrolling away our best years of life, scrolling through our prime. When God's like, I'm here. It says in Revelation, he knocks on the door of our hearts. He's a gentleman. He doesn't barge in. He waits for us to open the door. In discipleship, in the way of Jesus, we talk about these three simple truths, that it starts with being with Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, and then eventually doing what Jesus did. We call this the Jesus stuff. I don't know about you, but I want to do the Jesus stuff. Like, water to wine, that works for me. Walking on water, that'd be awesome. Healing the sick, casting out demons. Our church in the heart of the mission, I mean, most Sundays I come to church and I feel like I'm going on a missions trip to go to my own church. What's happening in the mission with homelessness and fentanyl? I told the Lord, like, in my lifetime, Lord, I'd love to raise one dead person. That's like a life goal of mine. 
And literally, I've walked past people to church that are dead on the street with fentanyl. That very well could happen in the next 12 months for me. I want to become a person of powerful love. I want to do the Jesus stuff, but I've got to be with him before I can become like him and do what he did. And this is the element that I think so many of us have forgotten and lost is we don't know how to be with him. We don't know how to sit at his feet and hear his his word. And I remember the first dance I ever went to, middle school, eighth grade. And, you know, I had my white boy moves, cutting a rug, having a good time. And, uh, and then the first slow song came on, slow dance. And I think it was Celine Dion, early 90s, great music. <laughs> and so I'm, like, helplessly looking for a girl, like, how do we do this? I've never done this before. And by God's grace, some girl found me. And I think she probably just felt sorry for me. And so, like, you do this slow dance thing, and it's like my arms are out, like, do I touch the hip? Do I not touch the hip? Can you touch the hip? Are you like an inch off the hip? Is that like a wrong thing to touch? The hip? Like, so I'm trying to figure this out, and then I'm watching everybody else, and I see one of my buddies who's got a girlfriend, and those two are really close. They're like one flesh. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. And so like, we're just, it was so awkward. We did like this weird robotic dance, and then I didn't know what to talk to her about. And so like, I didn't really talk to her. I just kind of like scanned the room and looked over her head. It was so weird. I felt bad for her. Lord, wherever that girl is right now, Jesus, help her. <laughs> If she's still wounded, Lord, heal. (laughs) And I remember it was just so, I didn't know how to be with her. And I feel like that's how so many of us are. We can come in on Sundays and we can serve and we can sing the songs and, and we can pray the prayer and we can even open the Bible when it comes on the screen and pull out our app. But then when we go home, when the band's not with us, when Tyler isn't leading us, when it's just me and him, What happens? I think we've forgotten how to be with him. A lot of us, we talk at him. We talk over him. We're we're over talkers. We do all the talking. We're telling him everything he needs to do for us. All the needs we have, all the desires, all the dreams. Instead of asking, "What, what do you want? See, most of us in the West, what we would say is, what do you want me to do? It's not about doing, it's about being. What do you want, Jesus? And you know what you're going to hear nine out of ten times? I want you. That's what he wants. What he wants is he wants you. We've got to learn how to be with him, how to talk to him, not at him, how to listen to him. Uh, Global Prayer Ministry came out with a statistic last week, and they said that 85% of Christians globally have no prayer life to speak of. They don't know how to be with Jesus. Barna came out with a study and it said that 94% of Christians don't pray in community with other believers. So what secularism does is it privatizes our faith. That faith is supposed to be private. It cannot be public. And we know that Jesus had a private life of prayer with the Father, but it brought about public display of power. And so Paul says this thing wasn't meant to be done in a corner. Jesus was not executed privately. He was executed publicly with tens of thousands of people watching, and then he showed his resurrection power for 40 days, saying, look at the holes on my hands and my feet. The grave cannot hold me, and now I give you this resurrection power. But we're to have a private life with Jesus that leads to public 
power, his powerful love flowing through us into the lives of other people. The band can come on up. John 13, 8. This is what Jesus did for me while at Asbury. The disciples are having their feet washed by Jesus, and he gets to Peter. Many of you can identify with Peter like me. He says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answers him and says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Think about how humiliating that would be for the Son of God himself to wash your feet. Like, you can wash my hands. You can, what, just not my feet. My feet are dirty. They're ugly. They're gross. Anything but that. Wash their feet, not my feet. Let me wash your feet. See, what Peter was trying to do is, is, is Peter was trying to, like, no, let me get all the dirty things in my life fixed up and cleansed and perfect and pure and plastic and let them present them to you. Then you can wash me. And he's like, no, that's not how I do it. I catch the fish and then I clean them. I don't take clean fish. I catch them and then I cleanse them. I think so many of us, we're too proud to be loved. We're too busy. We're too distracted. We don't know how to let him do what he wants to do. We don't know how to let him have his way. We're like Martha. We're, we're, we're distracted when he shows up. We, we're going to serve over here. We're going to do this thing. Martha's in the kitchen making sandwiches that Jesus didn't even order. Mary's sitting at his feet. She's like, Mary's thinking like, there's nothing else to do. The only thing to do is he's here. As long as he's here, this is where I'm going to be. Until he tells me to do something, this is where I'm camped out. This is where I'm making my home. This is where I'm living. As long as he's here, I'm here. So many of us are striving, we're achieving, we're trying to serve him instead of let him serve us. You can't serve Jesus until you let Jesus serve you. And once he serves you, then you become a servant. You never serve for him. You always serve with him. Jesus said, I only do those things which I see the Father do. It's about being overdoing. We're, we're good doers. We can do. We know how to do here in the Bay. But we've got to learn how to be. Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. He didn't say do holy. He said, be holy. Be like me. And so what's our response when God shows up? All these college campuses across the nation now, two weeks ago, 4,800 college campuses had a night of worship, prayer, fasting, crying out for God to do a work in our nation. What happens when God shows up? When God shows up, everything changes. We don't do life as normal anymore. Everything now gets put on hold and He becomes first and center. So many of us could miss this divine season because we're glued to our personal season. You can lose your marriage in a season. I hear all the time, oh, it's just a season. I can, you know, a lot going on, can't make it, like, busy, a lot going on. You can lose your family in a season, lose your kids in a season. We can miss out on God in a divine season. We've got to become the people of God that clear the deck, that say, here I am, send me. I'm not too busy for you. Whatever you want, I'll make myself available. Why? Because anytime we create space for God, He fills it with more of Himself. And what we need now is more of God. 
If we're looking at the mental health crisis with students, and we're looking what's happening with teenage girls in our country, CDC last week said, I think it's three out of every five girls created a suicide plan in the last two years. Medication and good counseling will not fix that. We need a move of God in the bay, in our nation, in our homes, in our schools, in our families. And so here's the call. Every time this church door is open, you get yourself in here. Pre-church prayer, be here every week. Well, I'm not a morning person. Now you are. I helped you with that. That's good leadership. Thank, thank Tyler for that. He brought me in. Team prayer. I've, I've come to one of the team prayers. Get here. If you can move your schedule around, work late or early or find a time to get in here. These revival nights. All of us should be there. Like this is like whatever needs to be canceled can be canceled in order to get myself here. See, many of you, you, you have a, a flicker of faith. There's life. There's hunger. But God wants to turn that flicker into a flame. And others of you, you have that flame, but God wants to turn that flame into a blazing fire. Jesus said, he said, zeal for your house consumes me. What he wants to do is he wants to set you on fire. If you would, please stand on your feet. We're going to pray this morning. We're going to pray for that love to overflow into every person. If you're here, put your hand on your heart. We're going to pray for Gen Z in a moment, but I'm just going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to flow. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you confirm your word today? Would you give us that gift of tears today? Many of us, it's been a long time since we've experienced your love. We've heard about it. We remember it from the past. But Lord, that first love, the first time that love met us, Lord, we want to remember it. We want to cultivate that again. Would you just release your love over us today, Jesus? Would you just cleanse us and wash us? Would you help us just calm down and sit at your feet and receive all that you have to give? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.